If you haven't already listened to the earlier episodes, you might want to take a step back and listen to the first two episodes before diving into this one. This is the third episode of Finding Hazel, a podcast about a forgotten writer Hazel Hawthorne and my journey of retracing her story. I'm Inka Leisma, and I'm still in Berlin, in Germany. In case you don't know who Eugene O'Neill is, let me tell you. Eugene O'Neill is a Pulitzer and Nobel Prize winning playwright whose career took off in Provincetown in 1916 with the theater group Provincetown Players, who later became known for redefining American stage drama. You may have heard of the full-length plays O'Neill has written, just to mention a few, Beyond the Horizon, Anna Christie, or Strange Interlude, which all brought him a Pulitzer Prize. But in 1918, he walked the sandy shores of Provincetown and met a young woman called Hazel Hawthorne. Historian Louis Schaefer has written one of the many biographies of Eugene O'Neill. Listen to what he writes about O'Neill, Hazel, and the summer of 1918. Among those he met for the first time this summer was Hazel Hawthorne, 16, pretty, sparkling with revolt against the dullness of life at home in a small Massachusetts town. Hazel, who was looking after the children of some vacationers, wrote a poem that appeared in the July issue of the Liberator magazine, a successor to the masses, and was flattered that the O'Neills and the Cooks took an interest in her. So Hazel, too, was in Provincetown, back in 1918, right after publishing her first poem. I find a gem of a source as I go through Louis Schaefer's archive on Eugene O'Neill. There's a folder on Hazel. An entire folder! The folder contains some 20 files. Most of the files look like the notes on people or places, either written by Hazel or someone interviewing her. When I get to file number 13, my jaw drops. The file is titled Recollections, and you know what it looks like? The beginning of Hazel's autobiographical memoir. This is how it starts. I had no sooner come to Provincetown in the summer of 1918 than I realized that the O'Neills were the exciting people of the colony. I was employed by Harvey and Harriet Gall, the former an organist and teacher at Carnegie Tech and a composer. I was to tend their children and help with housework. This couple were within the orbit of the players, chiefly through Mrs. Gall's friendship with Susan Glasswell. On my first evening in town, I was instructed to go down to the shore for relaxation. I had already heard enough of Jean's glamour and importance as a playwright to want to know him. I went to the shore below the O'Neill apartment in the John Francis house, top floor, west. The light of a full moon on the water was of secondary interest to the sounds of party gaiety from the lighted top floor. Next day I told Mrs. Gall where I had been and she said I was too young to be asked to the O'Neill parties, there was heavy drinking and Jean was sometimes ugly. When Agnes passed on the street, I found her most attractive, slender, lean, rather, as if not well-nourished or as if very nervous, tanned, wearing a long scarlet cape. 
After a poem of mine appeared in the masses, which they all read in that group, the O'Neills took me up. I think it was jealousy that prompted Mrs. Gall, who like myself aspired to writing, to tell me one morning that the crowd had had a good laugh the night before over my verse. This made me hate O'Neill for a while, but then he came to me on the beach one day and told me he liked the poem, all but the last four lines. And he talked as one professional to another, which was being very kind to a young girl. I knew the last lines were insincere, tacked on for literary effect, and that he was right not to like them. So the first poem Hazel publishes is not only discussed by people who would later be known as pioneers of American theatre, the Provincetown Players, but she also got direct feedback from a playwright who would later become one of the most celebrated playwrights in American history. I mean, what a way to start a literary career, Hazel! I've been making such good progress. I read the recollections over and over, and learn that Hazel not only met Eugene O'Neill at a young age, but also spent some time ten years later with editor and literary critic Edmund Wilson. It seems both Hazel and Edmund summered at an old life-saving station in the dunes in the late twenties, which coincidentally Eugene O'Neill owned at the time. Now let's stop for a moment. Why is Edmund Wilson important in this story? Hazel may not know it herself yet, but Edmund Wilson will become a significant person in her life, especially regarding her career. Wilson, by the time he met Hazel, had already worked as editor in Vanity Fair and the New Republic, reviewed books for The New Yorker, and helped F. Scott Fitzgerald with the editing of his novels. Just to mention a few examples. And you know what? Later on, he also wrote a novel called To the Finland Station. Ha! What a coincidence. Earlier in this episode, you heard how Hazel met playwright Eugene O'Neill. But this is what editor and literary critic Edmund Wilson writes about meeting Hazel for the first time. Hazel was a girl who lived near me last summer when I was living in O'Neill's old Coast Guard station near Provincetown. She's very young and very pretty, and she has quite a remarkable literary gift, as yet in rather an immature state. Wilson also writes that Hazel, at the time, was planning a trip abroad. What was she planning? Where was she going to go? I still wonder how to get my hands on The Hound and Horn, which I found out is a literary magazine that was published for a few years in the late 20s and early 30s. In it, Hazel published a short story called On the Baltic. I also can't help but wonder whether the title refers to the Baltic Sea. But do I really need to travel to the US to read this magazine? I mean, I find reviews, but not the digital version of the magazine. I decide to try my luck with the Freie Universität in Berlin. Maybe the university library offers access to some databases I have yet to find. While I scroll through the website of the library, it slowly dawns on me that this is not just any library. It is, in fact, (laughs) the largest research library for North American studies in all of Europe, and it's located just a few subway stops from my home. Now, how did I miss this, huh? 
I can't believe it. I hop on the subway and ride four stops further to southwest Berlin from Heidebergeplatz, where I live. It doesn't take me longer than five minutes to get a library card. This time, it's so easy. I stroll the short distance from the main library to the John F. Kennedy Institute. It's a grayish-brown stone building, unassuming but impressive like so many stone buildings in this city. I step in, hesitate for a minute, then I head downstairs where the magazines are stored. There's no one around. It's very quiet. I tiptoe around, reading the archive labels at random, turning left, turning right, scrolling through shelves. The room is full of mobile archive shelves, and I want to turn the handles of each and every one, just to see the shelves moving. I find what I think is the right shelf. I grab the handle and turn it. An aisle opens up, and I step in between the shelves. My eyes wander from one shelf to another. And I have to cover my mouth with my hands when I see the magazines. Unbelievable! They are right there! The volumes of Hound and Horn from 1927 to 1934. They've been here all this time. All these months. They've just sat here, four subway stops from my home. I grab them and start to read. If I had to sum up the short story on the Baltic, it seems to tell the story of a woman who is divorced, travels to Germany, is pregnant, gives birth to twins, and tragically loses the other twin at birth. Hmm. Hazel does not seem to write about easy topics, does she? Small-town agony, losing a child. These are heavy topics. So far, I've learned that Eugene O'Neill owned the old life-saving station in the dunes for a decade or so. I've also learned that Hazel worked for writer Dorothy Canfield Fisher in the summer of 1919, so Hazel truly seeked the company of writers from an early age on. And I've also learned that Hazel and Edmund Wilson became friends in 1927. What started off as a chance encounter at the old life-saving station in Peacot Hill turned into a lifelong friendship. I've also started to wonder whether Hazel used autobiographical elements in her writing. I have absolutely no proof of this, other than her growing up in a small Massachusetts town herself and writing a poem about it. But I have a strange gut feeling about this. It's quite clear that young Hazel was drawn to the lifestyle of Provincetown literary circles. When you think about how she's described by Wilson, to me it seems that the infatuation was mutual. If Hazel has been said to love men, it sure does seem that men loved Hazel too, wouldn't you think? I have googled myself to exhaustion and I can't seem to find any more databases or biographies with search hits on Hazel. I've scratched the surface enough to know there's definitely more to Hazel than meets the eye. She's not just the woman who adored men, even though there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. 
She may be remembered as someone who adored men, who loved men, even adored the attention she got from men. But she was also a writer who started to form friendships with writers and artists at an early age. She spent a lot of time in Provincetown and the dunes of Cape Cod. In fact, it's practically impossible to talk about this woman without mentioning the dunes. Even though I sold my house to finance the gap year, my plan didn't include traveling to Cape Cod. Fingers crossed that I will get to travel to the dunes sooner rather than later. Because you know what? I'm starting to get pretty curious. Looking at photos people share in Instagram, I can almost smell the ocean and feel the wind. See for yourself. Hashtag Cape Cod National Seashore. Instead of traveling to Cape Cod, I pack my bags, throw them back in the Volvo station wagon, and start driving towards Travemünde in northern Germany. It's time for me to head back to Finland. The ferry leaves at 3 a.m. in the morning. It crosses the Baltic Sea and takes about 30 hours to get back to Finland. Bye-bye, Germany. And hello, Finland. In the next episode, I will finally be able to take you to my home country. Can't wait. And as it happens, my heroine, Hazel, also boards the ship and sets sail to Germany of all places. Can you believe it? I also make a creepy discovery that involves a curse. Thank you for listening. If you're curious for updates on the project, follow my journey in Instagram at Finding Hazel Hawthorne. And while you're at it, why don't you make a quick visit to FindingHazelHawthorne.com. This podcast is produced by Inkalesma and Essi Somaki, hosted by Inkalesma. Quoting Louis Schaefer's biography, O'Neill, Son and Playwright. Paragraphs from Hazel Hawthorne's unpublished recollections published with permission of the Hazel Hawthorne Estate and courtesy of Linda Lear Center for Special Collections and Archives, Connecticut College. Background audio clips from Freesound users Tyra Komori, Flag 2 and Monotraum. Theme song by Studio Le Bus.